What is going on, guys? It's your boys back with the JC and the Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Lee. Some people call me the truth. My co-host, Chris. Today, we'll be discussing the first month of baseball, and we'll be recapping it. And then we'll be looking forward to the NFL draft, which is so close away. And I cannot believe how close it is, Chris, because, you know, our Giants really went all out this offseason to try and impress us. And I will not, I will not believe it till I see it on the field. But uh, I just want to actually start off with the first month of baseball. It's almost at a close. April is almost over. And this has been a very interesting first month back to a 162 game season for the MLB. So uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about with you has just been like this element of a slow start, right? Now, granted, this always goes into my teams. This just, it just makes sense. The Yankees have been off to like a really astoundingly slow start, but they're not the only team, right? Look at a team like the Twins, another team that was, you know, high scoring, high power offense. And for some reason, it just doesn't feel like these two are the same teams that they once were back, you know, when they were breaking records for the most home runs. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think you hit a perfect there as well. Uh, This month, of April has not been kind to a lot of MLB, MLB teams that are trying to get into some kind of the rhythm. I was watching Pete Alonso before yesterday's game, and he was uh, talking with Ken Rosenthal, and he was saying, yeah, we're, they were at 500 at, at that point, and they were saying, yeah, we're at 500, but we feel like we have so much better baseball left to be played for the rest of the season. But part, part of our slow start is because we haven't been able to get into rhythm. I know for the Mets specifically, they've been killed by weather, whether it's rain or snow, or they've been killed by uh, COVID in the first series of a season with an Astros. So for a lot of teams, they're still getting hit hard with COVID and it's going to be a problem throughout the rest of the year, just because as we've seen, COVID is still a pretty big issue in, yep. the, in the country today. So uh, for a lot of these teams, it's going to be hot and cold to them all season. They're going to have to try and figure out some kind of rhythm in all these sort of uncomfortable, uncomfortable uh, scenarios. So they're going to have to keep playing and find a rhythm, whether that's, you know, taking extra reps of batting practice in between games or uh, outside of games. But yeah. it's been interesting to see. And um, just going off that, I, I think there is some – for me personally, when I look at the standings in MLB right now, I think I think a lot of the teams that we have thought are going to, you know, end the season on top are on top. And obviously not the Yankees right now. I think they're still going to win that division. But the one shock that I, I'm seeing through 20 games right now is the Kansas City Royals. And, yeah. You know, they're 13-7 and seven right now. Elements of 2015 back. Yeah, yeah, and it isn't crazy that whole team is, is pretty much gone. Right? I think uh, yeah. maybe they have one, one. Is Alex last Gordon player. still there? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking. I think it is Alex Gordon. I think he but, is still there. Um, I know obviously Lorenzo Cain is gone, and uh, all the staples of that team that <laughs> beat the Mets in the World Series. But it's crazy to see a band complete overhaul of that team. Yeah, and you know, I don't think they're going to stay competitive for the rest of the season. But it is cool to see them get off to a um, yeah. a, a good start. Yeah, it's fun. You know, it's fun to see teams like that. You know, I I made a TikTok about the San Francisco Giants and how, you know, uh, everybody's, you know, they're talking about the Dodgers versus the Padres, right? At the point I made that video, the Padres were ahead of the Giants. I mean, were behind the Giants in the standings, but nobody cares because they know in the end of the day, it's going to be the Dodgers and the Padres, right? But like for the Yankees, right? And for the Twins, for the Yankees have had one problem that actually has stimulated from the fact they just can't hit the ball. Yeah. Right, their pitching has been okay. It hasn't been great outside of Garrett Cole, but their bullpen has been lights out. But like, just listen to some of these batting averages. 
194 for Brett Gardner, 146 Clint Frazier, 186 Giancarlo Stanton, 175 Rudnit Odor, although I love him, 213 Glaber Torres, 133 Mike Ford, 196 Gary Sanchez, 214 Mike Talkman, and Aaron Hicks is like is somewhere in the 180, 190 range. It, that does not seem like a baseball team, let alone no. let alone a bad baseball team. Like, you know, and it just comes down to the fact that these guys are, you know, off to a really slow start. Um, the Yankees, I think at one point, were seeing the least amount of fastball percentage in the league. And, you know, teams know that their whole team is built off of hitting fastballs, right? Outside of guys like DJ LeMayu, there's not many guys that are, you know, purebred able to hit the ball no matter where it is on the plate. So, right. yeah, slow starts, you know, evident. And obviously the Yankees did win three or four against Cleveland. Uh, I think the Twins will be fine. I think they'll bounce back. You know, Nelson, Josh Donaldson's hitting the ball like it's it's like it's a beach ball out there. Um, you know, Nelson Cruz is immortal. It just – the team will fall into pieces. And the, and the Twins was more of – I think it's a bullpen problem this year. They've blown a lot of games late, um, late in the game. And it just – it, it it's one of those things you look at and you're like, they're going to be fine, but when, right? Like how long is it going to take this team to research? Right. And, and for the twins, a little bit more than the Yankees, right? The twins got to compete with the white Sox. They got to compete, say what you want. They got to compete with the Indians, right? The new brand new dominant Kansas city Royals, right? These are teams that they're going to have to worry about. Not really the Royals, but they're, they're already falling behind. So it's soon that you want to start picking up in that slump, you know? Yeah, I, I think um, going off what you're saying, part of it has to be the weather too. You look at teams oh, yeah. that are playing in, in California too. They have beautiful weather, and you're going out there every night. And even in Texas too, you have awesome climate to go go out there and play baseball. I know, you know, we're both East Coast guys, and during this time of the year, yeah, we're, we are in spring right now. But that doesn't mean the weather is beautiful. I mean, the other oh, day, yeah. I think two days ago, it was like 37 degrees here in, in Pennsylvania. And it's, you know, I'm saying it's spring. That doesn't correlate to good weather. So yeah, it's muggy I, I think, and raining right now. Right. I, I think as the, you know, days progress, the hitting will become better as the weather becomes better. I, you know, maybe there's no direct correlation there, but I, I think that it's, it has some truth for some players. And uh, just going off your point with the Yankees, too, I think, that it makes sense that not a lot of their uh, players are seeing fastballs because when you're playing, you know, we, we joke about this, but when you're playing in a ballpark like Yankee Stadium, for guys like Aaron Judge and John Carl Stanton, it doesn't take much to hit a home run with their power. So a lot of pitchers are not going to give them a fastball that they can easily drive. And even I know Luke Voigt hasn't played this year either, but he's, you know, when he comes back, I'm sure he's going to see even less fastballs than what he's accustomed to. So I think that is, you know, I think it's going to be a theme for the Yankees to follow for the rest of the year. They're going to have to get used to uh, not seeing fastballs in, in a bat. Yeah, and my favorite stat that every time I see for the Yankees is specifically with John Carlos Stanton, and usually Aaron Judge or Gary Sanchez get thrown a, sometimes a Luke Voigt, is this was the hardest hit ball of the year. <laughs> the next at bat. This is the hardest hit ball of the year up to this plate, beating his previous round. Like, Stan, I think he hit, theoretically, I don't, I don't know if it had happened, but I think it was today that he hit 120 mile per hour line drive base hit. And a lot of times it gets caught or grounded, you know, it's, it's, it's fielded. And then they always throw up this stat. That's like, well, 72% of balls hit that speed and that, you know, in that area are base hit tough. Well, that one wasn't. So 
that's the thing I don't like with Stan that everybody says, well, he's hitting the ball hard. I don't care if he hits it. Yeah. I don't care if he's just flicking it or he's hitting it bloops. I, a hit's a hit. It'd be 120 right. miles an hour. It could be 10 miles an hour. A hit's a hit. So, yeah. But I want to stick with this, um, this New York idea, but I want to drift away from the hitters, and I want to talk about a couple of pitchers that uh, I know we were talking about before this, right? So this year, a few pitchers have stood out a lot um, when it comes to just pure domination, right? Garrett Cole looks like the Garrett Cole that the Yankees paid for. Let's be honest here. I can't, you can't expect anything more from the guy. He's headlining a rotation that is very questionable after him with, you know, injured guys like Corey Kluber and Tyone coming back. Severino's still not there. Monty is very, you know, shaky. And Domingo Herman slash Davy Garcia are both not 100% proven up to this point. So he's headlining that rotation. Shane Bieber, right, another guy taking a team that everybody always counts out, but, you know, he's just – so dominant when he's out there, right? We got to, I don't know if you watched the battle between Bieber and Cole. It was, it was one of those, ma- and if, even if you're not a, you know, a fan of slow baseball, it was just a matchup to watch. It was just yeah. incredible. Only two, in, two innings of scoring, uh, two home runs for the Yankees. And I think it was the fifth and, and uh, a triple that led, uh, that was a, could have been caught by judge. Then a base hit afterwards brought in the run on Cole. Um, it was just, you know, un- unbelievable. Even John Means, a guy that I know you know I was huge on when yeah. he first came into the into the league and with the Orioles. But but that's that's not even the people I want to talk about. Because those guys, specifically Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber, are on their own level. They're a special breed of individual. But there's just one guy. And I know you are very familiar with him. <laughs> he is just I, – and I can't stress it enough. He is just – like, if everybody else is here, he's up here. There is nobody close to Jacob DeGrom on this planet. And I know you get to witness it, so I'll let you talk about it. But, like, what is it like to watch that guy day in, day out, but never get to see him just win the game handedly like he should be able to? It's, it's upsetting for him. And we talked about it before. I don't, I don't know how he manages to keep his cool. I think that speaks volumes to – who he is as a person and as a player, right? And it, it must take it must take a lot because he's been doing this for seven, eight years now, and he's so accustomed to pitching his heart out and going out there and not knowing if he's going to get a win, even if he pitches six or seven scoreless innings or one run in, uh, a uh, one run game. So it, it definitely is frustrating for him, but it's it's truly amazing. After I watched that game on Friday night, you know, I woke up the next day and I really thought to myself, like, wow, like we're we're watching a pitcher who could potentially be one of the greatest of all time to ever step foot on the mound. And it's truly awesome to see that. I mean, as a fan, a lot of times, you don't really appreciate the players that you have on your team in the moment. But what I've done with DeGrom is I tried to really analyze and just really be present in the moment when he is pitching because it's truly remarkable to see him. We don't know how much longer he has at this level that he's pitching at right now. 100%. So it definitely definitely is great to see – I love the guy. I think he deserves to be in an MVP conversation. I know the Mets fans were chanting MVP, MVP for him. But, I mean, is it too far-fetched to think that he could win MVP if he continues putting up numbers like that at the plate and numbers like that on the mound? So, I, I don't think so. And the last thing on the ground is just it's his slider. I mean, I know his fastball is untouchable at 100 and 101 miles per hour, but he consistently throws every pitch. But his slider is, is amazing, too. First off, it has amazing bite on it. And he's throwing the slider at 93 miles an hour. 
that's probably close to the average fastball thrown by starting pitchers in baseball, yep. which is pretty which is pretty insane to think about it. His slider is faster than a lot of pitchers in baseball. So that's part of the reason why. And, he, and he, the crazy thing is, is he doesn't even throw his curveball anymore. He throws it maybe 7% of pitches, 10% of pitches in a game. So it, it definitely is crazy to, to, to even think about. Um, I know you want to comment, comment on the ground too, but I have two other points uh, I want to make. So whatever you, whatever you want to talk about the ground, go on and throw back today. I have two points I want to bring up as well. Well, I mean, listen, the, the, you kind of hit the nail on the head. This is your guy. You know, I get to watch yeah. Garrett Cole, but like, I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to have that guy out there and watch him just shove, 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 and then uh, it's 0-0 zero, zero in the ninth inning. Like, you know, or <laughs> or they're down 4 nothing off of errors. Like, it's just right. – it's something that, you know, it, you once again, like you said, we take for granted, right? I, you know, I take I take a lot of players for granted, right? Guys, even like John Carlos Stan, I, I – I very much go at this guy when we play when we when the Yankees are on. But you sit there and you think about it. This guy is going to go down as one of the biggest and baddest home run hitters in the game. Yeah. And you can appreciate his work all you want after it's over. But during the time, like you're getting frustrated, him going over four with three Ks. What do you expect? The guy's a home run hitter. If they're not yeah. giving him pitches to hit home runs off of, he's not going to hit home run. So yeah, you got to just sit there and appreciate the players while they're there. Jacob DeGrom, I can only imagine there's never going to be a day where I wouldn't appreciate the guy. Even Garrett Cole, right? <laughs> Garrett Cole has a long stretch. You know our group chat people shitting on him saying, you know, this guy, you know, we overpaid, we overpaid, we overpaid. <laughs> guys, guys, it's one nothing in the seventh inning. At some point, we can't blame him. We got to blame the rest of the idiots. So, But, yeah, go ahead. Touch on your points with Jacob DeGrom. Just uh, outside Jacob DeGrom, there's two things I want to talk about. I was watching the Mets game today, and uh, Mets SNY commentator, in my opinion, the best voice in baseball, Gary Cohen, was bringing up a very interesting point today, and he was talking about the uh, the replay system. And he said, yeah, the, the replay system does help. They do – you know, you do get calls where you overturn. They were talking about today when uh, sacked by to Kyle Schrober out of left field, and he threw the ball to home. And originally when door slid, was called safe, went to re, uh, replay – he totally missed a bag and they called him out at home. But as they were reviewing the play, I thought Gary Cohen made a very interesting point. And he was saying the replay system, in his, in his own personal opinion, takes away a, the special moment for the fans. Because when the fans are there at the game, you're there for the excitement. And, you know, scoring around in baseball is, is a thrill, especially when you're there watching with a bunch of other screaming fans with you. But when you go to the replay system, it kind of takes away from that a little bit because it puts the game on pause and potentially it takes away that run. Yeah. So I, I found that point very interesting. I want to hear what you'd say about that. And my second point is, <coughs> excuse me, I know a special friend of Tatis is he's a 23-year-old phenom. But, like, for me, I don't know why, maybe just me as a person, as a spectator of baseball, I, I feel that he's being shoved down baseball fans' throats oh. so much. It's gotten to the point where I can't even like cheer for him anymore. I mean, the guys on MLB the show cover. Yep. He he, he makes his, uh, an average play. He's all over Bleacher Report, MLB yep, making a, making a sick play. He made a ground out to first. I'm yes. like, dude, and like you it's know, all right. Then this is me not talking anything bad about a player or character. But I think he is one of the best shortstops in baseball. And the shortstop and it is great to see a side note. It is great to see the shortstop position be reborn. And I remember five, six years ago, there were not many good shortstops in baseball. But now there's at least a handful, I would say even a dozen, 
good shortstops in baseball. So I don't know. For me personally, I, I think he's an outstanding player, but I'm just tired of just seeing him on every social media. I 100% agree. 100% agree. Now, I, I'm more with – now, I do love Tatis, and I, I understand the point you're putting out there because I have the same feeling towards Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Mm-hmm. I don't think Vlad is overrated. I don't. But he is more overrated than the MLB media makes him. Like, the guy last year, if he, I think he bat like a 230, 240. They were making it seem like this guy won the batting title and hit 70 home runs. No matter what he did, bro, he hit, he grounded. No, no, my favorite, his, his battle against Chapman. Chapman ended up, I think, striking him out after 12 pitches. They posted the video. And it didn't say Chapman gets the best of Guerrero or blah, blah, blah. It said Vladimir Guerrero battles in a 12-pitch at-bat. <laughs> he struck out or he got out, whatever it was. I don't even remember the ending of it. Why, why, are, we, why are we putting this out there? That's why I love right. Bo Bichette so much. I think Bo Bichette overall is going to be the better of the two. Maybe not power-wise, but I love Boba Shet, and I love average hitters, and he is the prime example of an average hitter, and I hate yeah. that he just already destroys the Yankees, but he does. <laughs> and I love Boba Shet, and I always been more a favor of him and favor of him over Vlad because the guy's not getting the same respect. Boba Shet goes three for four. We don't see a post. Vlad goes one for four with a, a two-run home run. They end up losing the game three-two. That home run's everywhere. Everywhere. Right? And it just that that bothers me, but you know, I, I do respect Vlad. I like Vlad a lot. I but I love Bobachet. But then the real major point I wanted to to go back to is the replay thing you were just talking about. So I agree that it definitely does take out like you know that that fun that run aspect of baseball. You know, like a ground ball, base hit, blah blah. Guys coming home, he's safe. The whole fans go nuts. Everybody's going crazy, and now we got to put it up for review. So I get that, but at the same time seeing this one video over and over again shows me that we really do need replays in baseball. I, I think you know where I'm going with this. Armando Galarraga, yeah. the guy threw a perfect game. No, no hitter. What was no it? Hitter, no hitter. Yeah. No hitter, right? Yeah. He threw a no hitter. Guy calls him uh, – Jim Joyce calls him safe. He wasn't safe. There was no replay. Therefore, he doesn't have the no hitter, right? That shows me right there that a replay is needed in baseball. Mm-hmm. But I do understand where you're coming from, and I understand where Gary was coming from when he said it. Like, it just it, – it slows down the game, and right, right. baseball loves to, to talk about how they want the game to move faster because that's apparently what all baseball fans want are fast baseball games. <laughs> but it's, it's hard. You know, it's, it's one of those things like maybe we should limit the way we could challenge things. Maybe, the, you know, I don't know. It's hard. Like, they, they want to talk about challenging strike calls now. Like, I don't – I don't no. think they should be able to do that. I think that comes down to the ump, right? I know we talk about robot umps. That's a whole other video for a whole other time. There's too much to think about. Baseball, it, listen, every sport has referees, all right? And they're bound to make mistakes. They're humans. Does that mean I can't get pissed? Absolutely not. I will scream my head off if the guy throws a pass interference like he did on uh, on freaking the the Saints and Rams game. I'd be throwing a hissy fit if I were a, a Saints fan. <laughs> But it doesn't mean the guy's not going to make mistakes. Doesn't deserve Definitely. death threats. But, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know. I agree it, with you. It's a tough I game. just think it slows, it slows down momentum. That's my, it does. That's my it, that, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Um, so, but now, actually, talking about pass interference, let's get into a little bit of football. 
So this, I think it's this week, right? The upcoming NFL draft. I am stoked to see what the Giants do. And when the Giants do it, I'll probably be really sad, as will you most likely. Um, but this year, you know, we are witnessing uh, a huge QB class here. And we all know how deep this, this draft is. Um, we all know that the quarterbacks, are, they just fly around in this draft, right? But I first want to lay out, you know, the, the way the picks are looking right now. We do, I want to say 100%, but I can never say it. So 99.999999% chance the first pick is Trevor Lawrence. And if it's not, the stadium, the, the, the draft room might burn to the ground. So Trevor Lawrence is most likely going to be a Jaguar unless somebody puts out an absurd trade offer, which won't happen. And second is most likely, uh, up to this point from what we've seen, it's going to be Zach Wilson, right, to the Jets. So now third correct me if I'm wrong, it's the 49ers pick. Mm -hmm. We are pretty sure or or sure that they're going to take a quarterback, but they just haven't told us which one. So going off of that, who do you think they're going to take? I think it's a tough tough question to even analyze because I think the best out of those three that we haven't uh, mentioned yet, so Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Matt Jones, I, I do think the best one is Justin Fields just because, you know, we haven't seen Trey Lance play in a while. He did, you know, he really didn't play this year. I think he played the game this year. Uh, but he, he has talent. He's like – a lot of people are calling him one of, one of those Mahomes situations where a, a good team could take a chance on him and he could develop really well. So, I don't know. He could be well. He could be good. And then we have Mac Jones. And I like Mac Jones. I don't think he's anything special. I think he's a great pocket passer. And then outside of that – it's a lot of questions in this game, but I do think that the 49ers are going to take the quarterback that fits their be- their system the best and what Kyle Shanahan can get out of that quarterback. So I think it really could be Mac Jones just because, you know, they, they, I think he's very similar to Jimmy G in a sense, and I would not be shocked to see that. So, you know, those three picks, as you said, those three top three picks are locked in going as quarterbacks, but honestly, it wouldn't shock me to see, those group of five quarterbacks you just listed all go in the top 10 picks. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about uh, Denver before and Drew Locke, and I know both of us aren't that high on Drew Locke. And I, th- I think it is time for John Elway to seriously consider ending the Drew Locke experiment, experiment. <laughs> out of Denver. And I wouldn't be shocked to see them take a chance on a quarterback like Trey Lance or even Justin Fields if he gets there. And another Atlanta? team. Atlanta, too. Atlanta can very well uh, – new coach, I think, Arthur – it's Arthur uh, Blank, I want to say, it's co- head coach of Atlanta now. Exactly. Uh, I'm coordinator from the Titans. I wouldn't be shocked to see him want to get his own guy. So, I mean, that wouldn't shock me. And what about the Patriots? Patriots Arthur Smith. Could easily, is it Arthur Smith? It is Arthur Smith. Uh, um, I wouldn't be shocked to the Patriots trade in the top yeah. ten and, and get a quarterback as well. And the Eagles, maybe they're not sold on Jalen Hurts. Maybe they can go up. And, <laughs> oh boy, would that would that be fun be for Eagles fans? And oh boy, will that spark some some, some oh, serious God. debate? <laughs> and one other team that we were just talking before we came on air is the Carolina Panthers. I mean, yeah, yes, they did trade for Sam Darnold, but he was only there for a year, so they don't like the return. Not maybe. saying we've seen too much out of Darnold, so. right? Right, and who knows? And so I think those are the teams are to keep an eye on when it comes to who's taking your quarterback. Um, one one quarterback that I think that is not mentioned in this top five that could be uh, possibly a really good steal for any, any team out there that's looking for a day two or day three quarterback is Kyle Trask. 
Yep, love Kyle Trask. Um, he was in he was in the Heisman conversation forever this year, and he put up some video game numbers uh, in Florida. So a team, I think the Saints fit him like a glove, and I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Saints maybe use. I don't even know if the Saints. I think the Saints never have picks in the draft. So yeah, they really, um, they really never do. <laughs> So I don't know. I, I'm looking right now. I haven't seen. I'm gonna troll off this to see if I can find the uh, their pick. But you know, I, I think whenever they're picking day two or even day three, I wouldn't be shocked to see them take a chance on him if he's still there. So I think he could be the seal of the draft. Um, you know, their quarterback situation. I don't know if we'll touch on it a little bit. Their quarterback situation is a little spotty. Um, it will be cool to see James Winston get him a chance if he yeah. if, he's, if he's gonna move forward. But you know, Taysom Hill is gonna be involved in some capacity. Yeah. So. yeah. You know, that's just the way Sean Payton is. He uses his gadgets. That's what the yeah. players are to him. They're his gadgets. Um, and, you know, I would love to see Jameis Winston get a chance, but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see Kyle Trask go to a team that, you know, isn't exactly looking for a quarterback now, but can use him in like, you know, I want to say like a Jordan Love situation. You put him behind a, a, a good or solid quarterback. Aaron Rodgers a lot more than that. But you put him behind a solid quarterback. You let him develop for a couple of years. And then when you're veteran quarterback, I wouldn't be surprised to see Atlanta go on him, you know, yeah. like not, not early, obviously, but you know, it, it, it's definitely, um, excuse me. It's definitely a, a quarterback. I want to keep an eye on right now. You mentioned steal the draft. I want to talk about a player. Uh, when, when you give me your thoughts on him, Kyle Pitts, I don't think I, no matter where this guy goes, he's the steal of the draft to me. Yeah. I, I think the player of his talent is, probably the best player in this draft, but as we've seen in the NFL, quarterback is king. So quarterback always takes priority over position players. But I think Kyle Pitts is, is going to be the best tight end in football in maybe a year or two. I mean, I know we have Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, but I think he's going to be right in that tier with them as, as players who are just simply unguardable. And, yeah. you know, Travis Kelsey is putting up 100-plus yards in every game. And yep. is putting up a touchdown in most games too. So I think Kyle Pitts is going to be in that category as well. Yeah, you just got to hope that he gets the quarterback right that helps him out, right? Like, right. And I remember for a while it was like it was a thought that the Giants wanted to go after Pitts. Um, there's there's a lot of teams that I could see using a guy like Pitts, but it's just if he goes to the wrong system, it's going to be really sad to see a guy like him, you know, his talent get wasted. So I really yeah. hope that the right team ends up selecting him. Where do you think he's going to go? I think he's going to go to the Falcons. I really do. I think he'll he'll be there for for the Falcons. I think that would be some – I know they could take quarterback too, but I, I think that would be some lethal combination on offense between Julio hey. – I mean, Julio is still your number one priority. They still have Hayden Hurst too, there. right? Yeah, Hayden Hurst and they have Calvin Ridley. Yeah, so, I don't Calvin know. They can see them, I can see them taking uh, him in four. But I, I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to slip past six because – um, number five, I'm pretty sure, is the Bengals. And then uh, number six, the Dolphins. So those are two teams that can both use a tight end. You know, I don't think that they would pass up on them. And I'm glad that you brought up uh, Jordan Love before because it's something that I didn't want to talk about. I don't know how true this is, and I saw it on Twitter, maybe even Instagram. But, uh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yes, I saw someone uh, say that they saw from a source inside of the Packers organization that that the Patriots and Packers, I don't know if it was agreed upon or something that was talked upon, but there was a trade that they've been discussing that lands Jordan Love to the Patriots and the Packers get their first round pick in return. And that, I think that would, that's very fascinating. I think that's a very Bill Belichick-esque <laughs> like, move. Ooh, 
Yeah, and yeah. I think that would certainly be interesting. And honestly, like, you know, you really think about it, that just once again, to me at least, looks bad for the Packers in a year where they once again could have helped Darren Rodgers, but they decided not to. They decided to pick somebody else, a quarterback nonetheless. And once again, like the Packers fan base is going to be furious if that, if that happens. Once again, if you're, if you're up in that staff, you can't think about what the fan base is going to say. You can think about what's the right move for the team. So overall, this is a very Bill Belichick-esque move, like you said. I think it makes too much sense. He just sat a year behind Aaron Rodgers. He just learned behind Aaron Rodgers. Take him, put him behind maybe like Cam Newton for a year. Let him learn from him. Now he's gotten two veteran and former MVPs telling him how to play football. Then the guy gets th- – he's going to get thrown out there, and this will probably be when Bill Belichick, you know, as we know, he went out and bought literally everybody you could find and more. Um, in the free agent market, it, it it seems like, in my opinion, it seems like it could bring back the Patriots that we all know. And I'm the kind that wouldn't exactly hate that because I always been a huge Bill Belichick fan. I know that there's a war between people that like Belichick, people that like Brady. I like them both. Kill me, I guess. But I like them both, and I really want Bill Belichick to show the world that he's not a slump coach and he's not. And we all know he's not. If you're a real football fan, you know, he's not, but you, all the fake people saying, Oh, you know, Brady needs, uh, you know, Belichick needs Brady. He can't be good without him. Shut up. Like he's, he had no one to work with this year. And yes, he didn't have a hall of fame quarterback to help him. The greatest quarterback of all time to help him, you know, dig out of the hole of losing everybody. Yeah, and you know, losing Julian Edelman certainly not going to help that not team. Help them at all. No, but I, I think you're right. I think in a year or two, they're going to be back, and it's just a matter of who is at the helm for them. Yeah. Um, I know we're almost out of time here, but I do want to make a few more points about the draft on Thursday. Um, you know, outside of the players that, that we have talked about, like Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, uh, even we haven't talked about Jamar Chase. I think that's going to be Jamar a Chase. slam dunk, a slam dunk pick for whoever takes him. Uh, Kyle Pitts and Penny Sewell talk about either who I think is going to be a stud in, in the uh, in this league too I think like outside of those five players a lot of these players in these in this draft and I don't know if it's just this year or maybe just the lack of exposure that we've seen because of COVID or you know no combine or you know lack of pro days really being a big thing this year I think a lot of these players when I look at them or, or watch even if I watch a little bit of film on them I think a lot of them are going to be players that are going to have to get drafted into the right scheme. And, yep. and you know, it's when I look at a player like Kadarius Tony, he's also another dangerous weapon out of Florida. Um, very small wide receiver, quick, great, you know, great screen uh, wide receiver, kind of like Robert Woods, but a little bit smaller. I think for a player like him, it's going to take the right system for him to get into and to really take uh, take advantage of, you know, his superb talents that, he's, that he possesses in Florida. So I, I think a lot of those players are going to fall into that category. Uh, another guy like Jason Awu, I think I said his name the right way, out of Penn State. You're right. um, super athletic defensive end, and it's going to depend on what team he goes to. And, you know, if he's drafted by the wrong team, they might not utilize his talents the, the right way. So I think that's what I see with a lot of these players. I mean, coaches have been scouting these players for a while. So hopefully a lot of these guys are taken into the right schemes, into the right systems. So I know uh, guys like Gregory Rousseau and Jalen Phillips, two immensely talented defensive end is one who's had medical problems and one I think both have medical problems actually they uh you know they need to be taken into the right system so 
I hope that's, you know, I, I hope they're all taken in the right spots and um, it'll be good to see. But just one other player that I, my draft crush this year, who's not being talked about uh, outside of Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, who's I think is going to be awesome in this league too. He's a real rock star of a player, uh, Jalen Waddell. I think right behind them is Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. I think he, a lot of people are sleeping on him because he sat out the year, I'm pretty sure. So he's, he's awesome. He is a great player. I think that whatever team he's going to end up going to, he end up, might end up being a large season one on that team. So I'm very excited for his future and I hope he's taken in round one or even early day two. So, um, these are some guys that caught my eye. And even Rondell Moore, I think he's going to be a slam dunk player uh, taken and on day two as well. Yeah. Listen, and this is, you know, once again, they're going to be an interesting draft. This is going to be a big year for, obviously, every year is big. But this is going to be a big year for GMs to see how they, you know, who they take, how they take, you know, without the combine. And it's it's going to be interesting to see as, you know, what GM wants to take what player into their scheme. Because like you said, this year you don't, you're not really getting the full – length of seeing who this player is like you would see if you had a full-blown combine so you know gm's jobs will be make or broken this year but anyways guys thank you guys for listening to the jc and the truth podcast tune in next week and we will see you all soon